All right. Turn in your Bibles. I need to look at something. To 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You will notice that we're not turning to Mark. And there's two reasons for that. The first one, I must confess, is because I'm not prepared to talk about Mark today. Um, Mostly because the subject matter, I didn't think you wanted to hear a whole sermon on him eating locusts. And uh, I, I hadn't finished up my notes on, on the baptism of the Spirit yet, and I wanted to be able to do that justice. So we're going to take a break from Mark. And the second reason is I've been preparing notes on the subject that I'm talking about today for about six months. I've only got about 50 pages of notes. <laughs> I'm not done with my notes, but... I'm going to talk about something uncomfortable. I want to talk about the subject of sex and sexuality from the scriptures. This started out with a conversation maybe about a year. I don't know how long ago it was that me and, me and, uh, and I know that's not proper English, but Ken and I, uh, we're having downstairs just about discussing with our children the subject. And uh, I said at that moment, I don't know how to discuss it. <laughs> and um, I know it's needed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this. I'm going to introduce a subject to us. And it's going to be more methodological today. I want to talk about how to talk about it. <laughs> and why we need to talk about it. And I may do just from there switch on and off with Mark, and that'll give me a little bit more time to dig deeper into, into Mark and, and make sure that when I do uh, present Mark to you that I uh, have something greater. Uh, I'm un- uncomfortable talking about the subject as you are as un- uncomfortable hearing it. All right? So I'll be awkward, you be awkward, and we'll just all be awkward together, and it'll be a great time of fellowship. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. Here is a very easy imperative. Flee fornication, verse 18. Flee fornication, porneia. Sexual immorality. Run from it like Joseph. (laughs) Flee it. Why? Every sin that a man does is without the body. Talking about lust and greed and all these roots of our sins and things of that nature. But he that commits fornication sins against his own body. And then we have that wonderful 
uh, summary of our life of worship. What? Know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It matters what you do with your body. We don't hold uh, some kind of Gnosticism, which says that there is a difference between body and spirit. And the body is distinct from the spirit, and the body is evil, and, 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 what, and your true Christian, your true spirituality is all spiritual. Um, you know, if you sit in college, uh, around college kids, they're always talking about how spiritual they are. I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Uh, that's this idea that they can believe and have funny feelings about something, and that's the measure of their spirituality, and it has nothing to do with what they do physically. Uh, that's, that's the Gnosticism of our day. I can be spiritual, I can be a good Christian, and it has nothing to do with what I do with my body. It has no impact on it because that's something separate. That's something that's outside of the realm of my faith. Now, God says we're going to give an answer for the deeds that we do in our bodies. So, I I do want to touch on this text some, but I want to introduce a subject and as we have time and go back and forth between this and Mark, what I want to do is offer an apologetic here. And why do we need one? Well, I want to give you three reasons why it's important and then I want to talk a little bit about how to talk about this. And and forgive me for straying from doing exegesis for a little bit and talking about and step back and talk about this as as a in a in a macro way why is the subject important why do we need to talk about it why does it why does it matter to you <laughs> uh, i want to the first reason i it matters to us is because it's the greatest challenge that you and i are facing today as christians um, and this has been so for a while. This is the golden calf that our culture is worshiping at. And it's been so for a while. And, and it's the greatest challenge that we have. If, if you've talked to anyone about your faith, especially anyone under a certain age, uh, it immediately almost always will go to questions about sexuality. Um, the moment I share my, just a few years ago when I, was, when I was actually taking college courses, whenever someone would, start, would sit down and talk to me and I would start sharing my faith, the very first thing they wanted to know is, what's my view on whatever sexual more they want to talk about? And that was, that was, the thing that they wanted an answer for. And I don't think we've always given satisfactory answers. Um, 
The Christian faces this question of why it's important as the culture runs an eagerness to some of the most extreme forms of depravity and demand that the Christian accepts and celebrates those. And it matters immediately because it is the ground of the greatest assault on our faith. You and I, if you and I believe just what I read today, not, not even the more controversial things, just what I read today from 1 Corinthians, if you and I believe that, what are we? What, what, what are the names that we're called? This is a great assault on our faith. You, you, you have, and I'm getting ahead of myself, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, 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 but you have this constant drumbeat that goes on in our culture, that this is now what is good, and you all that say it's something else, uh, you are outside of the, of the current of contemporary culture. Um, one of the things that has shaped our society is, and one of the greatest revolutions that has ever happened is the sexual revolution of the late 1960s. It has literally changed the way our entire culture views not just this subject, but everything. Politics is now sexual politics. That's, that's what it boils down to. Uh, what, you have this one side that's for this and for this and for this, and you have this, this really terrible side over here that's against it and, and against this, and, they don't ha- and politically they don't have any answers for why. The sexual revolution... Um, was the most effective revolution that has ever happened in our country and in our culture. And what was the sexual revolution? Well, on a surface level, we have the, I'm sorry for some of you all older folks, you have the baby boomer generation. And they looked at the emptiness of the, of the life philosophies of the greatest generation who came back for more, thank God, defeating Nazism, and they embraced a philosophy of what Francis Schaeffer called uh, personal peace and affluence. As long as, as long as I have all that I need, and uh, the great American dream, the two, car, the, the two houses, and, or the big house and the two-car garage and the picket fence, and as long as I have everything that I want and I'm personally okay, it doesn't matter what goes around me. And, and there was an emptiness of that, and that generation rose and rejected that. And in rejecting that, the sexual revolution at a basis was rejecting the mores of the previous generation, the morality of the previous generation. And sometimes that wasn't... Sometimes what they believed was not necessarily bad. But what was the deeper point of the sexual revolution? It was simply this. It's not just casting off the morals of the generation before them, but casting off the morality of the Scriptures. It was an assault on, on the basic belief of right and wrong and, and, and good and evil and all this. And, and it was, it was, it was a, an attack on the idea of marriage and an attack on the idea of all the ideas that are reported and taught into the Scriptures. And it was successful. It has shaped the views of an entire society and probably the views of some of us sitting here. 
all of us probably sitting here or one way, shape, or form are affected the way we see the world by the sexual revolution. So it is our view of sex that will likely soon also make us enemies. And will run us contrary to even the law. But that's not the biggest reason why it's important, but there's other reasons. Uh, Another reason why it's important is because it's the biggest stumbling block that's before us spiritually. And I'm I'm saying, saying that there is a rush in our culture who sees the coming tide that is continuing to mount higher and higher, for professing Christians and professing churches to compromise and even abandon what this teaching is in order to shelter themselves from ridicule or worse, to win acceptance in society. I know that no one ever feels the pressure to do that, right? You know, just tell them what they want to hear so we can get along. Uh, And to compromise, after all, whatever they're talking about it isn't, that bad, right? It's important for us to be able, but it's important for us to be able to hold fast to the form of truth. You do not compromise on the area of morality, any point of morality, without compromising truth and without ultimately compromising your hope in God and your hope in Christ. When we cannot compromise it without losing something essential to our faith. It is the greater points that I hope to, as we continue to talk about this, bring out. It's a stumbling block. Anybody ever heard of this? Some of y'all may, um, no doubt, has heard of uh, deconstruction. Y'all know what deconstruction is, right? All right, well, those of you that don't, there is a deconstruction movement among churches. In fact, there are, there, there are some faith communities that are majoring on deconstruction. And what deconstruction is, is where they are completely taking apart everything in their faith and they're questioning every point of their faith and ultimately what this ends up in is them leaving the faith. Some big name Christian musicians, for instance, have now come out that they are no longer Christian. And when you read the stories, and I've read several of these deconstruction stories, and what is the major reason? It always will come down to this. I don't like what the Bible says about sex. Now, they'll say other things. They'll say stuff like, oh, yeah, I mean, I just can't believe in in, uh, six-day creation or something like that. They'll say other things, but eventually, if you listen to what they're saying, it will always eventually come to this one point. I don't like what it says about sex. And there's a third reason why we should talk about it. It's a present danger for us. Why do you think Paul says flee fornication? Because it is something that we're readily susceptible to falling into. Amen? I don't even want to know 
and we're not going to have confession or anything. <laughs> but I wonder if the Lord simply saw what was on every person's phone in here today, would he be pleased? I sit in a Christian school five days a week now, uh, just for an hour. I teach one class. And these are kids that were raised in a Christian environment, Christian homes. And speaking in code and things of that nature. That the, I, I looked up a term I never heard of before just Friday. It's part of their conversation. It's what they're talking about on Snapchat. It's what they're doing. It's what they're talking. And it's literally the water they are swimming in in our culture. And those are Christian kids. When I went to high school, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Dealt with it, yeah. Nor, nor do we know how, and which is a good reason for us to get into it. <laughs> um, well, I, I forgot where I was going, but the point, but, but, but the point is, is this is literally the the culture that they're swimming in, and it is it is. Uh, what well, well, what did Peter say? He says they think it's odd that you don't run to the same excesses that they do, <laughs> the world. The point is, is this. You can sin. I know more than one person in the ministry that have fallen. I know someone who was a worldwide missionary traveling all over the world, and they fell into terrible sins. That can happen to anyone sitting here. And by the way, um, it doesn't matter what, how old you are either. <laughs> right? You can fall. And not only that, once you do, or if you do, or if you're even contemplating it, it can change the way you view the truth. We can allow our own views and perceptions of reality to be shaped by our culture instead of being shaped by the Word of God. And we can begin to justify this thing. It's okay to look at the menu as long as you don't order anything, right? Anybody ever heard that? All right. And now, now all of a sudden, what Christ says... 
If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Is done away by your perception of what it is, what, it, what, what your own feelings about what is and is not okay for you to do. And you can justify yourself. You, you, you know, every single person in here is smart enough to justify even the most horrible things. Well, it's okay because A, B, and C. And, but what we need is a sound declaration of what is right and what is wrong. And we need, we, we, we need that truth to govern our behavior and the way we govern our own vessels i.e. these bodies. And we can also incur great guilt. What is, what is this in this text? It says flee fornication. Why? Because there, is one, there, 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 there are sins that are just here and, and, and they're spiritual. But when we give ourselves to this sin, it's, it's, it's something more. We sin against our own bodies. Or we remember what it says in Proverbs 5. He says, I mourn at last when my flesh and my body are consumed. And say, oh, how have I hated wisdom. I hated those that taught me. But we can also impede our very worship of God. I listened to a debate yesterday. It was a four or five-year-old debate, but it was a, a, a debate about sexuality. And I listened to the people who were affirming certain sins, certain sexual sins. And what did they have to do to affirm those, to justify those? Well, the Scripture isn't sufficient. And I believe God is speaking to me, and it doesn't necessarily even have to line up with the Scriptures. And, and, uh, and I believe God about this about God, and I believe that about God, and, it, and, and there is a repudiation of the entire worship of God. Now, why it is important here in 1 Corinthians 6, and he says, Know you not that your bodies, body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Why is it important? Because what we do with our bodies is part of our worship. And we must worship in spirit and in truth. So that's why it's important. And and you could probably add a few other things to that list as well. Now, I do want to talk about how do we even approach the subject. Paul here is not giving much of an argument. (laughs) He's not giving an apologetic. What we need to do is, is simply offer a Christian lens to view this subject from. We need to view everything from the Word of God. And therefore, I'm not going to approach this as we deal with this in any kind of apologetical sense. This is simply me wanting to talk to you about what God's Word says. To talk about, first, the God that we actually believe in and the world that He has created. 
uh, and I want to judge that in the, and I want to declare that truth first and all. It's the God of the Scriptures that is to be glorified. This is what he says. This is the connection Paul is making here in 1 Corinthians 6. He is saying, flee fornication. Why ultimately? Because we're worshipers of God, of the one true God. We are His temple. Uh, And that is the reason we flee fornication, is we worship Him in our bodies and in our spirits. And we must declare that God. He's the one to be glorified with right belief, right behavior, and declaration of the truth. Uh, So... So we present God for what the Scriptures say He is. His nature, His will, informs us first and foremost that uh, what is right and what is wrong for us to do. And when His nature and His will are clearly seen, He's the Creator, we are the creatures. Uh, when, When that is clearly declared, we have a basis from which we can talk and then defend that truth against those that deny Him. And this subject needs to be proclaimed from the Word of God. And therefore, uh, and there, therefore from that, we need to reject the sin in, of our culture to glorify Him. So I want to talk a little bit about methodology here. And forgive me if I get a little dry. Because that's just me. I'm dry. <laughs> I have a dry sense of humor as well. I, how 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 is how, how is this going to differ from apologetics? It, we have what's known as evidentiary apologetics. So we're not going to spend our time talking about evidence. And I need to make that closer so I'm not walking. even though it, it gives me health points for whatever that means. <laughs> like I got 20 heart points yesterday, now I don't know what to do with them. And uh, <laughs> uh, So if we were to deviate into an argument and begin to try to produce evidence for why I believe in God, uh, I, I'm afraid that we would be fighting a battle that is neither winnable nor losable. Uh, and here's how apologetics works. And I'm going to make a point. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get somewhere here soon. Can I produce evidence that God exists? Okay. Does God... Oops, that's really... Does God exist? Is there a God? Can I... Uh, can I produce that evidence? Okay, I'll start with some kind of cosmological argument or something like that, and I'll argue myself up to God. And I'll make this conclusion. Is there a God? This divides atheism. Is atheism true or is, or is there a God? Atheism or theism. Can, can we produce compelling evidence? And this question is that is more likely than not that there is a God. Yes, yes, I think we can. I, I think I can give a great argument. I, I think a lot of great minds have, uh, from, from Anselm to, to Descartes, uh, many of them have given gr- great arguments. But what have we done when we win that argument? Well, 
we've given the false impression that they can hide behind the probability. Uh, the atheists in Canada once put up a billboard, uh, had this billboard and bus campaign where this was printed on the sides of buses and billboards, and it says, God probably doesn't exist, so, go, so stop being worried and go do what you want. <laughs> the God of the Scriptures is not a probability. He may or... It's not like we cannot say, well, God may not, may, may exist, or God may not exist. And, and we give the false impression rather that, that even though our arguments are sound, the person that is listening to our arguments can say, well, God might not exist, and I can you know, hide behind that probability. I can ask the second question, is that God personal or impersonal? Can I offer evidence that God is personal? That there is a personal God, a very real God that, 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 is, that knows us. There's plethora of things that can be given here. That evidence of the personal nature of God. No, no doubt we can tout that theism is a, has a superior explanation over pantheism. Uh, the idea that God is no, God is everything, and, and and there is no personal nature to God, but we have not yet spoken to the hearts of anybody, and even allowed them to cling to the hope that they are not necessarily even accountable to a personal God. Can we can we approach a third question? Uh, is God present in in His work? or not. Can I argue theism versus deism? You all know what deism is? There's a God that wound up everything like a clock at creation and he stepped back and he's not even involved. Or is there a God that is actually present in his creation? I, can, can we make good arguments over, over that? There's evidence we can put forth. Every contingent thing could have been otherwise. Um, and only is because of an active and powerful mind that made it thus. God is involved. He is upholding all things. We can make great efforts, but we have not yet even touched upon the real issue. And we've allowed people to cling to a small hope that God's indifferent. What am I saying? We begin with God. God is not a probability. God is real. God is here. God is involved. God has declared himself in the scriptures. He has declared himself in history and in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about that God the God who has created all things. We have not touched upon the question that God has indeed spoken. We're not, we're not, just, we're, 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 we're not just groping after a God that's not there or that, that, that may or may not be there. There is a truth of God and that God has spoken. I like how Francis Schaeffer said in the title of his book, He is there and he is not silent. Postmodernism tells us that there is... No truth. 
and all truth claims are just this group that has their narrative, their story, this group has their narrative and their story, that there is no God that has spoken. There is no meta-narrative. There there is no voice from outside of humanity that has indeed spoken and given us a true truth, as Schaefer would say, a true truth by which we judge all things, that there is no standard. But we have a God that has spoken. Right? We have a God that has spoken in creation and spoken in His Word and spoken in His Son. And we declare that God. Secondly, why is it important for us to declare the truth of God? It's important because every person we speak to is not morally neutral. I don't believe that there are people out there that have just not heard the right arguments. Amen? People want their sin. They're not morally neutral. So when I, so when I talk to them about God, when I talk to them about the Scriptures, they are automatically against what I am saying. No matter how good my arguments about the existence of God, the personality of God, the presence of God are, they will always be able to reason and rationalize. Each person, the, they, sinners do not desire God and And they are to be called to repentance and not necessarily reasoned into repentance. They are to be called to repentance. That's the preaching of the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 3 says this. You all know this. Romans chapter 3. As verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Do you believe that? What about that old lady down the street that's baking cookies for everyone? Is she righteous? <laughs> Only if she's giving you cookies? No, she's a sinner who needs a Savior. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is. They are sinners in need of a Savior. And we need to speak to them from that perspective. I'm glad someone did that to me. Someone didn't say, well, you, you, you were a pretty good guy, and you got everything. Well, only thing you just lack, you just lack that one extra thing. You just need Jesus. No, I'm a sinner that needed a Savior. And no matter who it is in front of you, they are, there are none righteous. There is none no, or no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. And it goes on to talk about the positive evil in all of our lives and our need of Christ. And a need is, is for that gospel to be clearly declared. All the evidence and arguments that we put forth can be rationalized away That's why I said God is not a probability. In fact, if there is no God, then there is no purpose. There is is nothing. There is not even the ability to make a coherent thought. Uh, So He is a necessary precondition, and, and everyone already knows it. 
The person in front of you, because they are a sinner, already knows there's a God. They've already had that in their conscience. In their heart, they have been said, that, that voice of conscience is yelled out time and time again, you're guilty. Amen? Romans chapter 1, they knew God, but they honored Him not, glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations. And where does that lead? Well, all manner of wickedness. Some of that wickedness were sexual sins in their idolatry. They already know there's a God. They suppress that. They, they, are, they, they create gods after their own desires and they worship those gods instead of the Creator because they do not want to deal with their sin. Therefore, the task of the Christian is not primarily to argue from evidence, although there's times you can, but to simply declare the truth of God. That all already know in their conscience is there. We have, we have a precious thing in front of us. A Bible. We have God's very word. We need to show them the folly of their sin and from there alone we can declare the riches of the glory of the gospel that rescues from sin. I'm glad that what I read here in Genesis or Romans chapter 3 is not, necess- is not the end of the story, but we get to verse 21. But now, despite all the sinfulness, despite all the guilt that is, that is there for every single human being, it says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Upon all them, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and we, so on and so forth. We can declare the gospel only by declaring the truth of God's Word. There is a God that you have denied. There is, you, are, you have sinned against that God. You are guilty before that God, and here is the gospel. That is ultimately the answer to the sin problem. And until we make the hearer see clearly that all that they do counts, is meaningful, and they are accountable to the one true God for it, then nothing else is going to convince them. Can I make some good arguments for sexual morality in our culture? Yeah, I can. I I think... I think I could argue in a general way that prisons are filled because of sexual immorality. And the instability of our culture is based upon sexual immorality, that fatherless homes and things of that nature. I, I can make good, good, good arguments that, that the, the psychosis uh, of our culture, uh, people battling depression, people battling anxiety has a root in sexual immorality. Uh, I can even make an argument that, uh, you know, suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts are often based upon sexual immorality. Would our culture be better if we embraced a, a just a better sexual ethic? Yes, but that's not what is needed. What's needed is Christ. 
And by the way, our culture is not going to change until people turn to Christ. You know why people are getting abortions? Because they're sinners. And they don't have Christ. And all they have right now is the moment. And that's all they're living for is the moment. And they don't, and they, and people are sinning because they're sinners and they're sinning because they are guilty and they are sinning because, because that's what they want and that's what they desire. And all the arguments and rationale. So I'm not, I don't want to approach this in an apologetic way. I want to declare it from the scriptures. When we speak truth, we're already engaging the, we're already engaging with them in the arena of God. When we when they indignantly speak about justice and morality and things of that nature, they have no basis for it, but we do. I like how uh, I believe it was Jeff Durbin said, uh, coined this phrase where he said, uh, "It's either Christ or chaos." And if we Declare something less than Christ, we are declaring some form of chaos. And when they are not, when they are not declaring the truth of Christ or not hearing the truth of Christ, they're hearing something less than what we need. So I, I, we could make all kinds of arguments for why, but the truth is, is all they need to hear is the truth of God from the Scriptures. And all I need to hear to be a faithful husband and an example to my children is believing this book and practicing this book. All the evidence in the world will not gain a hearing in our culture. They hate the Christian ethic regarding sex and sexuality because it speaks so loudly about what they already know but don't want to admit that the God of the Scriptures is real and so is their sin before Him. So those are topics they're eager to avoid. And that's the obstacle that stands in the way. I, I, I found myself doing this so, so often. I, I want to, people ask me a direct question about what I believe about this or that. And I always want to default to some reasonable category from which I can talk to them about it. Instead of having the courage to say, the Lord has spoken on this issue. And that's what I want to encourage us to do. What, why don't we do it? Well, because we know one truth, the hated Christ. And if they hated Christ, they're going to hate us. But... We still need to speak the truth. I saw it in a, I think this was at an abortion rally. Someone had, one of the, one of the, uh, it was in some rally regarding sexuality. And someone held up a sign. And don't, don't ever let anybody tell you that people don't know what they're doing. People know what the actual issue is. They always do. He held up a sign that says this, uh, if Christ comes back, kill him again. He, he, knew, he knew what it was about. That's what we're facing. I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be called names. So it's easier for me to talk about, well, if we just had fathers in the homes, <laughs> that would reduce prison recidivism. And uh, 
you know, things of that nature. It's easy for me to argue instead of putting out the truth and saying, this is what God has said. So it's going to be very simple. I want to start next time we get to this. We may be even, hopefully I'll get a chance to finish talking about the baptism of the Spirit and, and then, then I'll take my time studying again. But the first thing I want to talk about is, is there is a creator and you're not it. Amen? And that creator has created the bounds and the divisions within his creation. There is a, uh, there is a, um, you've heard this, uh, was that Brittany Griner? Is that her name? She, uh, yeah, she, she uh, went to another country and was carrying her dope with her and got arrested and spent like a year in jail, in a, in a Russian jail. I remember a story when I was a kid about a young man uh, a rich, entitled young man who believed he can do whatever he want was traveling in Singapore and started spray painting cars, and they, uh, and they, uh, they, uh, they caned him. How many twenty lashes with the cane? And and uh, and the American president was trying to intervene to get him to stop the. You know the fact is, and this I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about this next time, but when we're talking about sexuality, we're in a country where he is Lord. And it's his laws that reign. And it's his word and his division. He, he, he has interpreted what sex is and is not. How, what, what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. He has defined those. And we do not have the ability to define them ourselves. And if we do, if we think we do, we're as foolish as that young man spray painting cars in Singapore. Because we will face judgment. Because we're, we're, in a, we're in a foreign country and he's Lord. And that's, that's where I want to start this conversation. I want to I bring forth the simple antithesis. He's creator. We're not. And that stands in opposition to what people automatically believe. How many of you all have ever seen uh, uh, the cartoon... Uh, Inside out. You want one has? <laughs> I have. I I kind of like it. I think it's cute. All right. Let me ask you. The ones that seen it. What was everything that was real about Riley? What was everything true about her personality? What was who was Riley? the structures that she created in her own mind based upon her, ex her own experiences. That was her true person. And of course, it gets into the, some stuff like that. That's not so. You know who you are? You're who the Lord created you to be. Amen? We're not self-created. I know that. I, I know I'm just picking on a, on a poor, innocent little cartoon, but that that presents this idea that's prevalent in our society. I create myself here. I'm my own God. 
Everything about me is what I build in the structures of my own mind. I define for myself what I am and what I am not. And that's how we view personhood. But the fact is, is there is a Lord above us, and He has defined us. He has created us. So, and then we're going to get into some other antithesis too. Antithesis about the law. I want to talk about what the law says. Why, why do we not wear... What one of the arguments is, is if I got this shirt tag out, it probably says it's made of more than one cloth, and if I don't obey that, then why am I worried about what other things are said in the Levitical law? Have you ever heard that argument? Why am I responsible to follow what the Word of God says here when I'm not following it somewhere else? Like I didn't put a fence up around my, around my roof, <laughs> right? A parapet. We're gonna, we need to discuss some of these things and discuss some of these, uh, uh, discuss these great antithesis. And ultimately, we're, I hope we're going to see when we get to the end of this that we have a greater, more fulfilling answer to sexuality than anything that's offered in this culture because ultimately it teaches us the truths of the gospel. And we, we know that when we get to Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I hope you, will, I hope you got a little something. This is just the introduction. Next time we talk about this, we're going to talk about the creator-creature distinction, that we are the creature and he's the creator. Let's stand, and I went a little bit over. Um, but let's be dismissed. This is more of a lecture than it was a sermon. I'm sorry about that. I, but I hope you got something from the Word of God. And uh, we'll move forward from there.